Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Christ and Culture podcast. I'm Dr. Ken Keefley. Today we are speaking with Dr. Todd Von Helms, author of Before You Leave for College, Career, and Eternity. Dr. Von Helms has worked with teenagers, college students, and clergy for nearly two decades in the role of minister, college professor, church consultant, research assistant, interviewer, chaplain, and headmaster. So today, Dr. Von Helms is a senior fellow at the King's College in New York City. He is a presidential scholar of Christianity and culture at Dallas Baptist University. And he is also a senior fellow at our very own Bush Center for Faith and Culture here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Von Helms, we're thankful to have you with us today. It is great to be with you, Ken. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say about your, your new book and how and hearing some of your insights about how we can better understand and discuss the challenging and important questions of the Christian faith. Let me ask you, Dr. Von Helms, what, uh, what prompted you to write before you leave? It really began with my own experience. Having grown up in the church, uh, went off to a large secular institution, 50,000 plus students, University of Texas at Austin, as a believer, ready to stand for the truth. And I got there and took a class in the Bible in English and American literature, taught by a former priest who knew the Bible as good or better than anyone I've ever met. And first day of class, he really challenged us in terms of the authority of scripture. And about half the students had dropped by the second class period. We, we, we come in and he asked, you know, obviously I don't have the high view of scripture that many of you do and I see the true believers have stayed, but you know, we're not approaching the Bible as the authoritative word of God, we're approaching it as great literature. And would anyone like to share your opinion of the Bible since I really didn't give you the chance to do that in the first session? So of course I raised my hand and I uh, shared that trump card, if you will, the Second Timothy 3.16 of all scriptures, God breathed, profitable for teaching, rebuke, to know right from wrong, you know, how to live. He said, well, that's great. Who wrote that? I said, the Apostle Paul. He said, to whom? I said, a young student named Timothy. And he said, when did he write it? I said, I had no idea. And he said, that's my problem. He said, many Christians coming to this course, even into seminary, uh, they know God, they think they know the Bible, but they don't. And most of them have never read it. And when, and when they quote the little bit of it that they do know, they do so out of context. He said, if I told you that when Paul wrote that letter to Timothy, most of the Bible, certainly the New Testament, had not been assembled yet. So Paul could not have possibly been referring to all scripture as being God-breathed. You've taken that passage out of context. Now, Christians should believe that the Bible is inspired by God and completely authoritative. But don't use that passage out of context with someone like me who's actually taken the Bible seriously and read it cover to cover, unlike most Christians, 
you're actually doing a disservice to your witness when you think you're coming in here sharing the truth and, you know, might convince me that the Bible is inspired by God. So that really stuck with me. And from there on, I thought, wow, I need to investigate this, really know what the Bible says, and better yet, I need to read it for the first time cover to cover as a Christian. So when you say read it, for, how, how would you describe your uh, literacy of Scripture at that time? Well, you know, like most Christians that grow up in the church, whether it's, you know, through Awana or youth group or whatever, you might learn the books of the Bible. And you might have passages that you've memorized, which is really important and great. But if you don't understand the context, in other words, who wrote it, when, to whom, those basic three questions that he posed that first day or second day, um, then you're in trouble. Because oftentimes, as we see, uh, you know, even when Satan perverts the scriptures with Jesus in the wilderness, right? You know, quoting the scripture, Jesus is responding with Deuteronomy. Satan says, it is written, well, if you didn't know what scripture said, you wouldn't know it was being twisted. And I think many times in our churches, even in our youth groups, having been a youth minister, working with youth, I love God, I love the Bible, I love the students. But quite frankly, I can only give to them what I myself has, have received. And unfortunately, in youth ministry, a lot of those degrees are shorter and if these youth ministers don't have mentors that literally walk them through the scriptures and they have more theology and doctrine and history, then what will happen is it'll stay on the surface level a lot of times with the young people. And unfortunately, that was the case for me because when I was, these questions were posed by the critics and not, and not people that necessarily were wanting to wreck my faith as much as if you're going to be a Christian, be a good one, right? Know what the Bible says. I would go home to the well-meaning you know, people in my life who I knew loved me, loved the gospel, did their best to teach me the truth, and they did. But when I would bring up the questions that were being posed in the college classroom, the responses that I would typically get were, well, you know, I don't know. I've never heard that before. And then it made me think, wow, have I been duped? What else do I not know that I'm hearing for the first time and that you can't even answer? So it really didn't help me at all. Some would say, oh, you just have to have enough faith and believe that the Bible is completely inerrant and you know one person said oh the devil's behind that and you know that prof that professor doesn't believe in the author of the bible so don't pay attention you're wasting your time yet as i'm sitting around with my classmates who grew up in the church we're hearing these things for the very first time and it really threw us for a loop and then you couple that with everything else that that is vying for our attention as college students just trying to fit in oftentimes right and so that can be the thing to get pressed aside and you say you know what when i get older when i graduate college I'll come back to the Bible and really study it and be serious about it. Yeah, I think that you are spot on in your observation that many have just at best a cursory understanding of Scripture, and therefore they have a very two-dimensional understanding of what it actually says. Right. And then when someone like the professor that you had challenges you to see the Bible in a very three-dimensional way. It's a very robust, rich book, which robust and rich in ways that sometimes are troubling, right. that are disturbing some of the things that the Bible addresses and the way that it addresses. So if the first time one encounters that is in that kind of setting, it doesn't go well uh, often for students. So what what does happen? What, it, what has been your findings in terms what happens then whenever a uh, a student leaves graduates from high school and goes to college or goes to his or her first job uh, what's going on there i think many of them are somewhat ripped to shreds if you will intellectually 
And because I think what happens is these things are posed for the first time. They're kind of like a deer caught in the headlights and they don't know how to respond and they don't know where to go. And I've having worked with students for, you know, 20 years, what I would hear time and time again is I didn't know who to talk to either on the college campus, who could I talk to in the workplace, who would think I was weird to bring up these issues, you know, about the Bible or textual criticism or whatever. And you're made to feel like you're alone as a believer, having doubts oftentimes in the, when the ethos of these, you know, the cultural environments of the university or the workplace, sometimes you, you make, you're made to feel like you're alone in the, in the reality is no, you're not. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said it best that you can't wholeheartedly believe something unless you first questioned it or doubted it. So a lot of times these youth leaders, or if you're active in your youth group growing up, you don't know who to ask for the questions because you don't want to be made to feel, you know, less than, less spiritual, not enough faith, are you struggling or whatever. And yet the reality is, I think those churches like Tim Keller in New York when he was at Redeemer and others that would just have a Q&A time where you could just, you know, ask the, the preacher, the theologian or whatever. It's just a time to come and ask the questions and express the, the doubt and even the frustration working through those is what's going to make us intellectually stronger, but yet also our faith stronger as well, because there is clearly um, the attestation, the, the, the evidence for the, for the authority of Scripture based on textual criticism, which I get to into the book. When you look at that in comparison to all other ancient writings, I mean, it's, it's just overwhelming how accurate it is and that we really know what the, the original words of Scripture said, even though we don't have the autographs. But that's an example when someone first says, and that's the first time I heard it in that classroom, you know, we don't even have the original writings of Paul in the others. And I thought, what? But then once you work through that to understand this process of textual criticism, you realize, no, we actually have the words. And it's and with certainty, we know. And even, and even a skeptic like um, Bart Ehrman, he's a, one of the foremost uh, New Testament scholars, has said, we have all types of variations. But through the process of textual criticism, we know what the original said. Yes, and I, you make that point so very well that, no, we don't have the original autographs. Yes, we do have the original words, I yes. think is how you say it. And, uh, and as you point out, uh, Dr. Ehrman, uh, him, he, he would also recognize that the textual variations um, are they're, they're located, they're focused on some very specific areas. 92% of the New Testament is what we'd call completely stable. And the places that we do have the disagreements and the problems are on prepositions. Is it in Christ or right. of Christ? Right. Those kinds of things. Um, and you do, I really like how you do go ahead and talk about, well, okay, there are the, 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 the question, the John chapter 8 or the long ending to Mark, the places yes. where we do, you, you tr uh, uh, have some questions, you, you address those very honestly. Um, what I like, there are several things that I like about uh, Before You Leave, and that's the name of the book, Before You Leave for College, Career, and Eternity. There are several things that I really appreciated about your book in that it's not, in many ways, the typical apologetics book that gives 20 reasons why I believe the Bible and that the resurrection, and, and those are all good, and you do address these things, but you also go ahead and go straight to some of the hot-button issues, such as you talk about, is there a devil? Mm -hmm. uh, should we believe in the demonic? Right. And uh, so will you talk for a moment about the topic of the devil? I mean, it seems like the only... Um, perceptions or understandings people have of the demonic 
is something that has been conjured up out of Hollywood. That's right. Yeah, so how, how, how should we think about the evil one? Well, it's, it's a great question. You know, we tend, in our culture, we tend to minimize, belittle, make fun of, or ignore things that we don't understand or want to be true. And I think of my own exposure to what the demonic may be or whatever. I remember Saturday Night Live with the church lady. And I'm talking about, you know, this self-righteous, you know, Dana Carvey dressed up, you know, as a, as a nun, I guess, if you will. And he would always say, you know, could it be Satan? And he would blame the devil on anything. A bad hair day, bad weather, your favorite team losing the game or whatever. Thinking and naughty so, thoughts. Yeah, and you just kind of laugh about that, right? Or there's the cartoons. And there, or then you get into what you mentioned, the Hollywood, you know, the, the exorcist and these other things like that. And then I think for many of us, uh, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis and the way in which that's written kind of gives most Christians their first exposure to the possibility of maybe there really is this invisible war going on. And I remember reading that and it really piqued my interest. And then as I went to scripture, you know, on one hand, you, you see that um, the devil being described as a roaring lion waiting to, to, to devour. But then in another place, you see Paul talking about the devil as an angel of light. And I think those, um, and you have experience with this, in the third world or on the mission field, they don't need convincing that there is a, a, a spiritual realm, that there is the demonic. and But yet in the West, oftentimes, especially in America, I think it's more of the angel of light that's disguised as something that is compelling, that is pleasurable, and in and of itself may not be bad, but there are things that can be exploited by these evil forces to cause us to sin and idolize things instead of God, right? Yeah, I think that you're, you, you, you express that. I like that part of the book where you talked about, yes, there are places where he ma manifests himself as a very uh, as a very evil being, the roaring lion uh, metaphor that you use there from Scripture. And then there are those other times in other settings in which he is very subtle. Absolutely. And I think the, the, um, some of the challenges that we face today in our culture, whether it is in the academy, are other significant culture makers. Uh, I really do believe, I, I agree with you, uh, Dr. Von Helms, there really is a devil. And I really do think he is quite subtle and that he, uh, he, he makes sure that he operates within uh, a culture in the most effective way possible. And so I think, I think that there are times that we fail to appreciate him because he doesn't look like the caricature that we expect. Absolutely, and I think that's the problem for many people. You may think, oh, well, I've lost a loved one. I'm already down about, about that, or I'm depressed, or you know, financial struggles, marital problems, and that. And you think that may, might be the time you're most vulnerable, which for many, it can be. But I've also seen that for many, it's at the height of success not only in terms of the, the monetary success in the business world, but even in success of ministry. And we can get caught up in, you know, the, the, sizes, the size of our churches or our youth groups um, or just the degrees we have or whatever, but it can be anything that is, you know, used to substitute the focus that should be on God. I think Tim Keller says that in terms of defining, well, what is an idol? It is anything out there that you look to for your identity, your, your purpose, your satisfaction other than God. And I think that that's what the devil does, just as he would twist scripture, even with Jesus, 
right? Or if you look at Job being attacked, right, the Old Testament prophet there, I'm thinking, okay, so if you've got the most righteous man alive at that time, that he's allowed permission to, to be attacked, if you will. You look at, at the Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness, and the attacks come. So I don't think any of us will get a pass. And I think back to C.S. Lewis with Screwtape Letters, one thing that the characters talk about is for the Christian that is referred to as the patient, uh, the, the, the uncle says to the young demon who's just started the tempting, he says, if he ever thinks that you exist, try to distract him. Because once he knows you exist, then you're somewhat in trouble. And I think for many of us, um, we don't hear much about the devil from the pulpit. We don't hear much, um, you know, in youth groups or whatever. And that was one of the very reasons why I decided, you know, we need to address this. And let me give you a personal story. So my son, great Christian school, comes home for their first lecture after having read the screw tape letters. And he says, Dad, the professor asked how many believe in God. This is a non-covenant Christian school, so half of them are not Christians. But half of them raise a hand, I believe in God. He says, how many of you believe in a devil? as described in the Bible. No one would raise their hand. So my son said, but then the students start laughing. They start referring to, you know, to the Hollywood movies. And, you know, that went on and on. I'm curious about, well, what does my son think about this, right? I mean, I, I'm his dad. I'm ordained. I've been a chaplain. He's heard great sermons. We read the word together. We pray and all that. And my own son says to me, dad, is there really an invisible war going on? And there's a demonic influences that want to keep me from knowing and loving God. And when he said that, I thought, okay, I'm writing a chapter about this. This is important. If this happened to my own son, it's probably happening to most kids, most teenagers that are out there. I think you're spot on. I, I believe it was John Piper who said that Christians uh, go to uh, spiritual warfare thinking that they're at a picnic. Right. And, and then they're surprised mm -hmm. whenever there is such carnage and... and, and uh, casualties. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated the fact that you went ahead and addressed that right. straight on. Another difficult topic you address uh, straight on is the doctrine of hell. Right. What? Why would you think it was so important to include a chapter on belief in hell? Well, it's biblical, right? And again, if you're not reading the Bible, you may not know that. But when we look at what Scripture says and what Jesus himself says about hell, that's just, it, you, certainly parts of Scripture are metaphorical or they're referring to you know, particular historical events. And N.T. Wright does point out how Christians can wrongly refer to some things with hell that really were not about this potential eternal destination. However, at the same time, there are many passages, and I mention them in the book, that there's no other way around it. And if it was important to Jesus to talk about as much as he did, then I think it's important for us to, to look at this and listen. And if it's one of two eternal destinations, then we better get it right. <laughs> now, again, back to the caricatures and what we see in our culture, right? Because some of these things were hijacked, whether it was the street preachers or just a certain denomination in which someone grew up in, where the fire and brimstone was really prevalent or prominent. But yet, if you look back in that culture, and if you remember, I have this whole section on the, the Great Awakening period with Edwards and Whitfield and that. Well, they had the biblical framework by which to understand what the scripture said. Whereas in all our culture today, we don't have any idea. Most of us have never heard a sermon about the doctrine of hell, and rightly so. And quite frankly, it is offensive, and it's easier to not talk about it or address it. But, you know, if you ask some of the leading evangelicals who go to these prominent large churches even, you ask them, how many times have you heard a sermon in the past decade about the devil? 
Okay, you've heard so many sermons about the family, the church, the important, the veracity of scripture, but what about the enemy that opposes all of them, right? And it's the same with hell. How many of you, if we're, if we're made for eternity, you know, God's in Ecclesiastes put eternity in our hearts. You know, Paul says our citizenship's in heaven. We're made to live forever. Well, everyone wants to believe in heaven. Just there's a universal hope for every human alive that there's something beyond the grave. So I think when we look at the Bible and we look at the, you know, history of the church, the doctrine of hell has always been there. It's just really only been in the past maybe, you know, 50 years or so that it's tend to be ignored. But then if you think about it, to come back full circle to your answer, why did Jesus even come to begin with, right? Because if we minimize sin and we minimize hell, then to me we're minimizing the gospel and the power of the crucifixion and the resurrection that overcame our sin and death and hell. Yeah, and every once in a while uh, I will read where someone will say, I'm not much for the God of the Old Testament, wrath and judgment. I rather have the the Jesus of the New Testament, who is love and grace. And I'm thinking when I read that, you really haven't read the Old and New Testaments, uh, have you? Because when one looks at who was it that talked to us about hell and told us to be concerned about it, it was Jesus more than any of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, he's the one who put the greatest emphasis on it. Exactly. And so if we're truly going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to take what he says seriously about these matters. Absolutely. Um, and this goes back to your point in the book about biblical literacy, how important it is to have a good working knowledge of Scripture. So to for our parents who are listening to this podcast, what would be your, your advice to them? What would be some of the best practices in terms of, of helping your children to know the Bible well? They need to see their mom and dad reading the scriptures and praying. And they need the mo- uh, whatever parent is at home, if it's a single parent home, if it's both, that they need to be in the scriptures with their children. We need to, we need to be expecting them to read the scriptures. And we need to place such a value on it that they know it's important to us. Probably one of the most um, haunting things that I would hear time and time again for students that grew up in the church, some even attending Christian schools that would go off to college and then walk away from their faith, which so many surveys tell us more than half of them do. So many of these students I have worked with have said, you know what, there was really nothing to walk away from. There was no foundation. But as parents, if we are in the scriptures with our children, and it's a, these are safe environments. They know it's okay to, to not be okay. They know it's okay to have questions and express the doubts. And if we can't answer them, well, my gosh, we've got commentaries. We've got leaders at our churches and that. But that's the key. It takes a village, right? And it takes not just what we're doing in modeling, which is most important in the home, but it also takes those mentors and others within the local church for us to be working together, this collaborative effort in discipleship so that the foundation will be there. So when their faith is challenged, not only will they know where to go when it's challenged, but that they will be able even to help their classmates in college or even those in the workforce when they go there, when these questions are posed, just that we see in the culture, right? Yeah, and I think that parents need to hear that it's all right to say, I don't know. It is. That that whenever a child asks a question that is uh, uh, difficult, maybe even disturbing, and, and one doesn't know how to give a definitive answer to that, 
that it's all right to say to them, you know, I'm not sure I have a good answer. Right. Why don't we explore this together? Right. Why don't the two of us try uh, to arrive at a good answer? And, and what one finds out is that no matter what question you come up with, somebody's already asked it before. They have. And, and there's already some pretty good approaches to uh, resolving that question. And so I think that uh, what you've done there is excellent. Thank you. Um, one of the things I like the best about your book, Dr. Von Helms, is the sections on prayer. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, it is a book on apologetics, and I do appreciate that. But the, the one thing that I felt and that I, I came away from reading your book was the emphasis on the importance of forming oneself spiritually, allowing uh, prayer, the Bible, to, to speak into my life. So um, what is it that a young person going to college needs to know about prayer? Absolutely. What is it going to do for them? Why should, uh, why should a, a young man or young woman going to college uh, really prioritize a vibrant prayer life? Over and over again in the scriptures, we are commanded to pray. And the reason why we're heard is the one who commands us. Right before Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And yet, in the, throughout the scriptures, he says again and again, Ask, seek, draw near to me. James is, the Lord's brother James says, Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you, is what the Lord says, right? There are often times with prayer that people don't get started or know how to start, but my first advice would be is to just seek God. Even if it's the, the, the first prayer is, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Or, Lord, I don't know if you exist, but if you do, will you reveal yourself to me? And what I have found is by simply praying, just starting the knowing that there truly is God, God Almighty, the creator and sustainer of the universe, wants to hear from his children. His line is never busy. <laughs> you know, he's not preoccupied. He never sleeps. And Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, I will never forget a quote I read by him that said, it should, be the, it should be the duty of every man, every person, each morning to seek the face of God before anyone else. And you think about that. How do we start our day? Many of us were bombarded with the emails. We reach for the phone. It's, you know, whatever the, the schedule would say for the day. But why not give thanks to the one who created us, who sustained us even through the night with our sleep, and who gives us that, the breath and the grace that's new every day? And so I think prayer has got to be an ongoing conversation. And, it, and if you don't know how to pray and you never have, I would say be around people who do, right? And it's interesting um, when you hear children pray the sincerity of their prayers, right? Because we can get legalistic pretty fast on either side to say, oh, you have to pray this way or whatever, or what does even scripture reveal about when you pray and all that. But with prayer, it's a complex topic, but yet it also is very simple, right? If that makes sense. But it was Oswald Chambers, my most first highest. He, he defined prayer as our holy occupation. Now, many of us don't like to work, but how many of us, once we find our calling, we would work for free? And it's so enjoyable. And really with prayer as our holy occupation, when you understand the value of prayer and the fact that you're talking to the one who created you, who knows you best, and yet loves you most, prayer becomes a delight. And it's just an ongoing conversation with God. I, I really appreciated how you put that emphasis in 
your book. And the book's title is Before You Leave for College, Career, and Eternity. And the author is Dr. Todd Von Helms. And we have been discussing with him uh, what it's like to uh, go to college as a Christian believer in a setting that can be uh, less than receptive and how one can not only uh, survive but thrive in their Christian walk. This has been uh, the podcast for uh, Christ and Culture. I'm Dr. Ken Keithley, and good day. <music>